my childhood, I grew up Catholic, and at the age of 12, I actually started working to help support the family, although I had a lot of friends that did drugs at that time. So by the age of 13, I'd run away from home, was shot on my elbow at the age of 16. I dropped out of school at 16. By 17, I was a full-blown uh, heroin addict um, living in the street. I started using heroin a lot because I wanted to suppress the pain that I had. And my addiction got so bad that I started breaking into houses to support my habit. So I went to prison. My first charge was possession of a controlled substance for about two years. And then I was released, stayed out about a month, went back for another two years, got out for another year, went back for two and a half years. It was just this roller coaster of depression and not wanting to change. Being in prison, I blamed God for being an addict. Some of the questions that I would ask him when I, when I was in my cell is like, how could you do this to me? You, you know my heart, you know that I'm a good person. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. I have kids. That, that I want a relationship with. All I wanted was for God just to take this disease away from me. Like I, I, I couldn't stop using. And during that time, my relationship with my sister was absent. My sister Lee, we didn't talk. We had nothing in common. We didn't speak at all. It wasn't until later when she met Roger that I wrote to my sister and Roger reminded her about his relationship with his brother who had just committed suicide that you know he wished that his brother was alive you know he wished that he could have somebody you know have a brother to write to finally after years my sister came to visit me after Mateo was born and she brought Mateo for the first time so the way that I heard about Pearl Street Church was Natalie and Roger they had been coming for a while and they actually invited me to to come we both had gotten COVID Roger and I he seemed like he was getting better, I was getting better, you know, so my my hope was to come to church with them. So my sister got together with the family, we started praying for Roger, that he was gonna get better. And um, the last time that I talked to him was a few days before he passed away, you know, so my sister came to church, and two weeks before Roger passed away, I was here. When I walked through the doors, it's, it's very overwhelming, all the love and attention that you get, and I came back the next week and I accepted Jesus about a month after I had been coming to Pearl Street and three months after I had been here. I used to be an addict and um, I used to bring myself down because I used to think that once you're an addict, you're always an addict. However, because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, I know that it's what God says that I am. And I know that God says that, that I'm strong, that I am whatever he says that I am. And I'm no longer an addict. Amen. Well, that's Gabriel's story in our church. Absolutely amazing. He's an incredible guy, and that's a part of our journey as a church community is everybody's got a different starting point, but we're on the journey of empowering people of, uh, uh, in faith 
so that whatever their, their starting point is, whatever struggle they may be, whatever challenge they may be faced with, that, man, the God of all creation is at work transforming lives and hearts. Come as you are, but allow the power of God to transform you into who he's called you to be. And that is what, is what Gabriel's done inside of our church community. Now, here's the deal. Everybody's on the sanctification process. So Gabriel's still in the sanctification process, and he's on it, and we're working with him and loving him through it with everybody else, myself included. But the beauty is, is that, man, inside of the, uh, the local church, people are coming together with a high belief on a good God that has the power to help people in the brokenness of whatever they are walking in with. So uh, just absolutely beautiful. Now, we are in a series called Upon This Rock. Last week, we talked about in Matthew chapter 16, uh, a conversation Jesus had with his disciples in the, the overarching statement that came out from this man, Peter. What would he say? Jesus, you are from God and you are Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior of the world, which is beautiful. He says, man, no man could have revealed this to you. God has had to reveal this to you. So with that, I'm going to build my church on this understanding, revelation on hearts that understand I have come from God and I am the savior of the world that's been prophesied about for hundreds of years now. And with this understanding, a collective group of people are going to gather around this idea, going to celebrate this idea, going to share this idea, going to encourage other people with this idea. And as people are understanding the, the, the reality of who I am and what I've come to do and experiencing the transformation, then the church is going to expand because people are going to come to an understanding and more people are going to gather. So I'm going to build my church upon Jesus Christ. I am who the word says I am. I am who God says I am. And with that, I have the power to build my church. Amen. Now, here's kind of the journey. What I'm going to jump in here today is the journey of the church. Because what I don't want to do is live in a church world where we live myopic, small-minded in who we are as a people. We can walk through these doors and be like, sweet, look at us. We're amazing. We're a part of Pearl Street Church, and Pearl Street Church is the greatest church of all time. Thank you very much. I agree. But the reality is we are one small church that is a part of a billions of people that are following the same faith. And if we're not careful, we can look at past experiences in which we've had in the church world and say, oh, I don't know about the church. But the beauty is the church is beautiful. The church is amazing. The church is global. The church is bigger than Pearl Street in the Pearl, Park or Pearl area. The church is bigger than San Antonio. The church is global around the world in remote places inside of the world. And the church is beautiful. How many of you guys have been a part of something growing up, or maybe you're a part of something today that you can say is both painful and beautiful at the same time? Anybody? All right, some of you guys are a part of a workplace today. You are a part of a workplace that you walk into this place and it is amazing and beautiful. Why? Because at the end of the week, they give you money. Praise God. Right? Isn't it amazing? But on the other side, it's painful because you walk into a place and there's a high expectation for you to deliver on expectations that people above you have. And if you don't deliver on those expectations, what happens, there's very honest and candid conversations they have with you on you're not meeting the expectation. And you got to step back and be like, well, who are you? To say that to me, and they're like, I'm your boss, and you are getting paid by us. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. And then you got to make the decision to change actions, change decisions that you can show up and perform to expectation, right? And what would you say about that? 
it's painful, but it's also beautiful, right? Because you're growing, you're learning, you're developing, and you're getting paid. It's beautiful, but it's also painful. Who in here is like, well, I don't like the pain, so I'm not going back to work anymore. Come on, somebody. Not one of you guys. Why? Because you like the paycheck, right? You like the benefits. You like the ability to be compensated for your efforts and your endeavors. You just have to go through the pain to get to the beauty. Same thing would be true in your school. You learned, you developed, you were educated. But at the same time, there was people there that hurt you. But there's also people there that empowered you and strengthened you, encouraged you, and loved on you. It's brutal, I would say. Now, here's the deal. Reality is the church is the same way. The church is the exact same way. This is going to be a place that maybe you might get hurt. But at the same time, it's a place where you will be healed. It's this brutal place in which there's multiple different types of people and backgrounds and, and things. And in this place, you walk in broken with your ideas and your concepts. And you sit in a place where God wants to move upon your life. And maybe through some communication, there's a truth that is, in, is spoken. And you're sitting here in a broken space where your mind may be thinking worldly. But God is speaking truth. And in that confrontation of conviction, you're going to find yourself in a place where you might feel pain. And you're like, I don't like it. Stop talking about my sin. Stop talking about my issues. Stop talking about my struggle. And you're getting mad at a place when God is just trying to help you as a person. There's other times whenever you walk through and the power of God is at work and man, you feel the release of sin and darkness off of your eyes. You can see clearly and you feel great and you say, this place is beautiful. It is a lot going on here. There's a lot that happens in the church, but who's going to sit back and be like one weekend? That was painful. I'm never going back to church. It's brutal. God wants to help and develop and encourage and strengthen you. God doesn't want you to live in the chaos in which maybe you've walked through these doors with. He wants to empower you and strengthen you and build you up for the work that he has set out for you long before you ever come to an understanding that he was chasing you down. And just because we have moments of conviction and pain and struggle, we can't find ourselves in an immature state saying, I'm never going back. A church may have hurt you years ago, but it's also a place in which you've been healed. Don't be myopic in perspective. We are not a church that gets so small-minded in our, in our perspective, in our view, that we overlook the body of Christ, the global body of Christ, just because we've been hurt by a church in the body of Christ, or maybe a moment where it wasn't about the church, it was about us. How does this all start? The church has a beginning, and I want to show you the beauty of where we are at today, not as Pearl Street Church, we talked about that last week, but as the church of Jesus Christ. How does it all start? Number one, you want to write it down, or you can take notes, write this crop top of paper first. Big church, I'm going to talk about the big church today. Number one, if you want to write it down, there is beauty in the beginning of the big church, the church. There's beauty in the beginning of this whole thing. You want to know how it goes? God sees broken humanity, sends his son down to live and dwell. He starts a ministry, calls 12 people together. These individuals are called disciples. Another term for them specifically would be called apostles. Apostles specifically. Apostles were individuals that saw the ministry of Christ saw the death of Christ, 
and saw the resurrection of Christ and spent 40 days after the death with him. Those were termed apostles. The apostle Paul, as we know him, was sent out by the apostles post-resurrection of Jesus and post you know, it was, four or five, uh, it was like four to seven years after the resurrection of Jesus. So he's an apostle by a different terminology. Main apostles, the 12, they saw the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and spent time with him after that resurrection for 40 days. That is what is known by a, an apostle. A disciple is something different. A disciple is somebody following Jesus. They weren't there at the ministry time, all of that. They didn't get to see all that go down. And now they're just following Jesus because they believe in Jesus. Jesus calls 12 of these apostles, disciples to follow him, learn, understand. And then it comes to a place where Jesus says, it's better that I go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to lay down my life for all of humanity. Uh, you're going to see this, but you're going to be called to do something about it. So Jesus dies and we'll talk all about that on Easter. Okay. We got Christmas first. We'll talk about the birth. Easter, we're going to talk about the death. But I just, small recap, right? He, he lays down his life on a cross. He's raised on the third day. He spends 40 days with his disciples. Resurrected body, 40 days with his disciples in a resurrected body. During this time, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Jesus came and told, them, uh, told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. First off, I've been given the power. I got the power. Now I need you to go do something. Go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You are my disciples. You've seen my life. You've seen my actions. You've seen my teachings. This is what I need you to do. you got to go out, and you got to teach some people. you got to teach them how to live, how to think, how to act. you got to teach them what I have taught you. you got to teach them the doctrine got to get the doctrine inside of them. You got to get the teachings of the word inside of them. They got one way of thinking, go out as disciples and tell people about it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now I say inside of here, you look at that, go and make disciples. On your journey in life, share what you have experienced. Share what you know. Essentially, is all he's saying. God has touched your life. He's, he's transformed you. Now go and share this information. So the first thing right off the bat, Jesus indicating to his disciples, get out of here and go teach people, train people, talk to people, encourage people, share with what you know. This is the start of the church. It's getting out. Now he spends 40 days with them, and it comes to this moment in time in Acts where they're stepping into a place where the power of God is about to move to do something for them that they can go do exactly what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus is uh, speaking to them, and this is where I, I would call the ascension with instruction. Before his uh, ascension into heaven, Jesus gives instruction. Acts chapter 1, verse number 4 says, once, we have, uh, once when we, he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. What is the gift he promised? Hey, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. He will lead you into all truth. He will be your comforter in your time of need. So the Holy Spirit has been promised to come and, uh, uh, and fill his people. It says this in John chapter, or, or Acts 1, verse number 5. It says, John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. 
this power of God that will baptize us. He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So the question was, when is God coming back to rescue his people? Uh, Verse number eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus at the ascension, he's going up to heaven. He's telling his disciples, hey, you know that God said the Holy Spirit is coming, so don't leave Jerusalem. Hang out, stay in prayer, and wait for this power to hit you. And when it does, what I want you to do now is go be my witnesses. Same thing. Go make disciples. Go share what you have seen, what you've heard, what you felt. Same thing. Go witness. Go tell people what you have experienced, okay? Now, sometimes you walk in this place. Maybe the first time you walked in this place, you're like, oh, my gosh, this big, refreshing, like, experience you had. You felt the presence of God inside of here. You're like, man, this church is absolutely amazing. What did you do? You walked out that next week. You talked to the first person you saw in your workplace. I'm like, man, I went to this church yesterday. I can't even tell you, man. I don't know what things I felt, man. I ain't felt in years. You know what I'm saying? I ain't felt it ever, you know? What are you doing? You're witnessing. You're witnessing to the experience in which you had that now somebody's sitting on the other side like, oh, really? <laughs> well, I ain't felt nothing like that, so maybe uh, I'll come experience with you next week, okay? Tell me where, when, how, okay? How about we just, okay, yeah, yeah. You're witnessing, you're sharing of experience that now is whetting the appetite for somebody else's desire to feel what you felt. It's in the heart of humanity to be in a place like this where they would experience their creator. Everybody wants it. It's witnessing. He's saying, when this power comes upon you, then you're going to just go share all of what God is doing. You're going to start in Jerusalem. Then you're going to step out into Judea, the surrounding area. Then you're going to step into Samaria, the outer rim of that. And then you're going to go into all of the world. And what happened? That was 2,000 years ago. And here's the deal. The gospel, the witnesses have gone all over the world. The Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on uh, 120 people sitting in an upper room a week and a half after Jesus said, stay here in Jerusalem. A week and a half after that, the the Holy Spirit fills the room. It looks like uh, tongues of fire rest on every single one of those individuals. They begin to speak in a a known language to, to all of the recipients that are there in town celebrating Passover, but an unknown language to other people that are in the room. The outside people that are religious says they're drunk. Peter steps up and like, they're drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Okay, they ain't drunk. They've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's people getting saved because everybody from all the regions uh, uh, throughout the area are in town to celebrate the Passover. What are they doing in tongues? They're speaking a language known to people that are there, and they're preaching the gospel about Jesus Christ. These people are here and are like, they shouldn't know my language, but they're speaking my language, and they're talking about this man, Jesus. Who is this man? Oh, it's the man that we heard about that was doing the miracles and everything. He died and resurrected. Oh, my God. He is the Savior of the world. I want to know this information. Peter stands up and says, they ask him, what must we do? What must we do with this information being shared to us in a language we can understand? Peter stands up and says, you must repent. Repent of your sins and turn towards God. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And 3,000 people at that moment in time did it. I'll tell you, the church is expanding. The Holy Spirit is popping. Woo! But people are passionate about what God is doing. 
They're experiencing God in a supernatural way, and this experience is moving them to a place where they want to share what they have experienced. Sometimes we sit back and we say, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know how to, I just don't know. I'll tell you this, when you get really passionate about something and you get really involved in something and you get really tuned into something and you're really stoked about something, naturally the experience you have in that moment will lead you to a place where you will share what you are experiencing by your intentionality and what you were a part of. No doubt about it. Come on, that's why we go to great restaurants and we're like, oh, glory to God, I need to share this with somebody. Right? We have a good experience inside of a, a, a marketplace play. You know, we, they treated me well. Oh, you got you to gotta stay at this hotel. I'll tell you right now, the Ritz, next level. <laughs> next level, right? It's the experience we have that drives to, a pl- drives to a place that we share what that experience is. The same thing is true that is going on here. The power of God is moving, and people are stoked out of their minds. Praise God. And the gospel is being spread all throughout the region. The church is being born. Faith is being found. What happens is you find these individuals that have transformed lives and it's leading them to a place with an experience to live a transformed life. You look in Acts chapter one, or Acts chapter two, sorry. What happens is you find, I'm gonna gonna jump in that next down. You find that the church is expanding. The church is growing. It's moving. The start of the church is born. It's people that are passionate. Now, here we are today, and let me just get into some, I'm going to go into some church history here. Okay, there's a lot that goes into this. I'm not going to get into every single detail. But the church started whenever the Holy Spirit fell. And you look in the book of Acts, you'll find all the acts of the new believers. You see uh, the Apostle Paul is traveling. He was sent out by the church to go minister him and Barnabas. Then Barnabas would have his missionary journeys. Peter would have his missionary journeys. And everybody's going out to share this information all over throughout the world, right? They're, They're stepping out. So there's a starting point, and then there's a lot of sacrifice going into the growth. So let me show you a little chart here. This is what a chart would look like on an understanding of like the church that has grown to where we're at here today. You get Pentecost, the church is born. Faith is coming together. 325, and we'll look at this ecumenical council where the Nicene, Nicene Creed comes out of it. But this is where churches started. People are stoked. They're sharing faith. People are coming to knowledge of Jesus Christ. Gentiles are coming into faith. Jewish people are being saved. Some are sticking with the old law and the old behaviors and the synagogue and the whole thing, the ritualistic things. Some are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a finished work. It's not by the blood of lambs, but through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are saved. So there's a transformation happening in the expression of faith. You find here where they're going to find, I'll come back to it, but you get down in the, the journey of faith. Then you get the great uh, schism of the East and West, the two different doctrines that flow out of it. The practices are different. You get the Orthodox Church that operates one way through a doctrinal belief. I'll talk about that in just a minute. You get the Roman Catholic Church, which is heavily known inside of our society today, which brought the Roman pageantry into the model of ministry. That's why you see today when you walk into a Catholic church, from what I understand, it's a model of the, 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 the... Let's see, the the work of Jesus Christ, how they they do the 
the pageantry, they go through the process of the service. I'm not well-versed in the Catholic faith, but you give a, if you've been in there, you understand how they kind of go through in the Eucharist and everything else in between, body of Christ. So they model that off of, of Jesus, but you get the Roman Catholic Church, then you get the Protestant Church that branches off that, the Church of England. We're back over here on this side. Bam. This is where Pearl Street Church sits today, right in this little off of that shoot. So church history has the start, Jesus Christ is Savior, he's the Messiah, and we all gather around that. Between this time right here, Pentecost, and this first gathering, 325, everybody's going out and sharing faith and pre preaching truth. They have Old Testament scriptures. They have written experiences by the New Testament believers that are, have written stuff down. Paul has written down his letters to all these churches that he, he set up. So they got some, some information on what truth is. So let me get into some understanding. Theology, let me just... Theology is the study of the God of the Bible. That's what theology is. It's a general term that's used. Any religious person out there is like, what is your theology? Say, what you talking about? Okay, slow down with your religious you know, mentality. Let's slow down for a second. We're talking about what's the study of God, the general term. Cool. It's inside of his word. This is what I believe about God. He is this. And we'll jump into it in the Nicene Creed. You can just come back and we'll bop. The second thing would be doctrine or dogma. Doctrine is... The beliefs that flow from the word of God. This is what we believe, the core beliefs that drive our faith. Doctrine means teachings. So you get theology, which is the study of God, the God of the Bible, that leads to an understanding of how we should conduct ourselves individually, corporately, so on and so forth. These are our core beliefs in which we teach to humanity. So you had a council of 300 bishops that got together. The Ecumenical Council in 325, it was solidified in 381 when uh, the Pope, or not the Pope, the, um, when the Roman Emperor brought them all together, say, you guys need to nail this down. But what you got out of that was the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is the core beliefs of faith that were lived out right here. Go back to the screen. Right here, 381 was the solid point. The Nicene Creed is written out of there that says, this is doctrine. This is what we believe. What happened was, is you had one bishop that started teaching that Jesus was a created man that stood between man and God. He believed that angels were created to stand between God and man. And that was a big deal because it was like, no, 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 Jesus ain't no created thing. Jesus came from God. And so they had, whoa, we got to get together and we got to come to a core belief because this person is trying to take people astray. And we fundamentally believe this. Let me read you the Nicene Creed, okay? Doctrine, the study of God. Or it's do doctrine is the beliefs, core beliefs of faith that is taught in churches. That's where you get the schisms inside of the church world because some people have different doctrinal beliefs. It all starts in Jesus Christ, the Lord, Savior, Messiah. So here... I'll read the Nicene Creed, and you're going to hear this stuff come out where they're like, this is what we believe, okay? It says this, Nicene Creed, the agreed upon doctrine for faith. We believe in one God, the Father, the almighty creator of heavens and earth, and of all that is seen and unseen. What is that saying? This ain't no big bang party, okay? Whatever you learned in your science class was man's ideas. God's idea is in the beginning there was God. God was the start of it all. He is the creator of all of it, the seen and the unseen world. There is only one of him, though. 
You get into the big part here where it's saying, no, 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 now Jesus is something specific. What is it? We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. He is one Lord. He is one leader, Jesus Christ, the Savior, Messiah, the only Son of God. There is not multiples. Muhammad is not a brother of Jesus or whatever they want to throw out there, okay? They're getting clear on it. And this, like, you got to be clear on this stuff. The world we live in here today, you got to be clear on doctrine. This is what we believe. This is what I live by, okay? So there is, uh, uh, let's see here. The only son of God, externally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, clear statement here, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us uh, men and for us our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in his glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Amen! Clarity on who Jesus is. Like, we ain't playing with Jesus, okay? From God, God from God, light from light, right? It's like, we're going to nail this down. No man's idea is going to infiltrate this, that he is anything less than he is God. He's a, tri, he's a part of the triune in the beginning. All things were created through him, okay? Calm down, which are in, he was created. No, no, no. So it goes on to say, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, he, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets to man and written in God's word. Last part, it says, we believe in one, and I'm going to clarify this, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, which is through Jesus Christ. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Okay, so we believe in one. There's only one church. We believe in the holy church, which is set apart from humanity. We believe in Catholic. Okay, anybody's got a Catholic background? You're like, I've always knew it. They are the one church. Catholic, you can't look at it as denomination. You look at it and what the word mean. What does the word mean? The word Catholic means for all. Not denomination, not the church, the Catholic church and the Pope and the Rome and all. It's Catholic meaning we believe in one church. It is wholly set apart. It is Catholic. It is for all people and it's apostolic. It is growing. Make sense? So you can't get caught. The Catholic church will stand on that all day long and like, we are the one true church. Like you're man-made and created. We surround ourselves under the idea that Jesus Christ is Savior and he is our Lord. He is a Messiah. He is from God. We surround and he is building his church. We are all following Jesus, right? And it's for all people, amen? So that's a little bit of clarity inside of there. I know I'm doing a little bit of teaching here, but here's the deal. I don't want you walking through these doors just on an emotional state that you live in. I want you clear on why we gather as a church. This is far bigger than Pearl Street Church eight years ago came together for, to do something different. We are standing on the path, upon the backs of giants that have gone before us that laid down their life. I told you before that um, William Tyndall, whenever he wrote the scripture, he translated scriptures in the 1600s. He took all the scriptures of Greek 
and Hebrew, and he put it into English, and he distributed those Bibles all throughout um, the land. One of the statements he says, if I am successful and God willing, I am able to live, I will make sure that the, 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 the boy plowing the fields will know more than the church leaders. His whole aim was, I want to make this scripture come alive. Because at that moment in time, the only people that had scripture to understand what truth was, was held in the hands of leaders. It was held in the hands of leaders. And here's the deal with sin. Leaders will use that to lord it over people. And they will say things that aren't true. And they will do things that are unbiblical. And William Tyndall said, we're going to give this information. That's why if you look on this in here, this information comes out. Put that, uh, the picture back up real quick. There you go. Why do you find inside of here? Martin Luther had written word, truth of what the Bible actually said. He took that and said, there's 99 things that the Roman Catholic Church is doing that's not biblical. And he posted that 99 thesis on the door of a Catholic church and said, you guys are doing things that's not biblical. And that's where you get the reformation that starts right there. That was the reformation that happened inside of the church to say, things are happening differently. You can't do this. This is unbiblical. So you got you got this truth that is, is known that starts, and man, things are, are happening, okay? So I want you to have truth and understanding that this faith is experiential, but it also is information of understanding that brings transformation. We are standing upon the backs of giants. What I was saying about William Tyndall is this. He was burned at the stake because of what he did. This Bible right here that you have access to the most, um, the most read, the, the most popular book ever written in the history of humanity. Still to this day, more copies are sold every single year. This right here, the man that made this was burned at the stake. And you know what started the fire? He was surrounded by Bibles. And they lit him on fire and killed him. Why? Because that's what evil does when it's in the hands of powerful people that they do not want the average person to understand. Jesus came that we would all know what truth is and we would submit our lives to it and live for it. Never under the thumb of authoritarianism, but under the, 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 the place of freedom that he has for us. That's what God has for us, okay? So that's information. The second thing I want to say this, there's beauty in the gathering of people. There's beauty in the gathering of people. What we have here today is the gathering of the body of Christ that are marked by Jesus. I'll say it this way, and it's a statement. I'm doing it a little out of order here today, but the church is a gathering of people marked by Christ. And then I put my little caveat on there. If not already, about to be in Jesus' name. That's what we believe as Pearl Street Church. Oh, it's a gathering of people in here marked by Christ, but if you ain't marked by Christ yet, you're about to be. If we got anything to say about it. We want you to experience Jesus Christ and the love of a heavenly father. That's true. So I'll say this. I love Diedrich Bonhoeffer make this statement. He says, the church is not a religious community of worshipers of Christ, but Christ himself who has taken form among people, marked by Christ. And this gathering of us is, man, Christ is in this place. Two or three are gathered in this place. He is also here. We've all been marked by Christ. There's power. I remember in 2014, first year that uh, Heather and I had season tickets to the Spurs. We didn't have any kids. She was becoming a doctor. We said, since we we're going to be season ticket holders, okay? We love the Spurs. We love Tim Duncan and Ginobili and Tony Parker, the OGs. We want to watch them in their prime before they retire. Praise God, we did it. We're no longer season ticket holders. It was too expensive. But um, <laughs> we had kids, <laughs> 
So we had these season tickets, and I remember the first year of the playoffs in 2014. You know 2014 was an epic year. For in 2014, we made a lot of money on those tickets in the, you know, okay. So um, <laughs> we should have went to the game, right? Whatever. Money's money, whatever. But um, the first round, we went to the games against the, the Dallas Mavericks, and I'll tell you, it was amazing. Being in that atmosphere, everybody's stoked. They're cheering. The Spurs are playing well this year. It was a year where Splitter was on the team, and their, like, passing was unbelievable. It was, like, next level. And we're in there, and, I mean, it's a competitive game. It comes down to the end of the game, and it's, like, super tight. And I think we hit, like, a three-pointer to go up by two, and I'll tell you, that whole place erupted. Whoosh! Ah, streaming, amazing. It's like, ah! It was euphoric. I'll tell you that right now. Anybody ever been in a place that, like, everybody's losing their mind? Let's be honest, over something very trivial, but, <laughs> but it's epic, okay? I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, it was epic. I was in that play. I'm like, what? This is electric in here. It's amazing. And the thing that captivated me was this. Everybody is there rooting for the same team. I mean, you're in this atmosphere. They hit that shot. I mean, there's like grown men on the verge of kissing. No <laughs> lie. People are chest bumping, high fives. You know what I mean? Like, butt, like, yeah. Hey, uh, I mean, it's going down. Like you, people that don't know each other, never met them like before in their life. Everybody's electric about the success of what they're involved in. And now all of a sudden they're driven to cross the social barriers into a place of commonality to say, wow, and all that stuff. And what is it tied to? We're all rooting for the same team. We all want the same outcome. I don't care who you are, what your political beliefs are, what your background is. You can get some of the most rough people and the most high-class people at the same junction, and they're like, ah! and none of that stuff matters. It absolutely doesn't matter because they're so ingrained and stoked about what's going on. I believe the church should be the exact same way. I believe the church should be the exact same way. If we're all marked by Christ and, and, and the church grew, when it started, it was experience that led to witnessing, sharing faith. This is what I saw and this is what I, this is what I experienced. And I'm so ingrained in what this is and the power of what it is and the transformation that comes with it and the, 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 the strength that comes with it. I mean, the, the life in which I get to live, I'm going to share this. I mean, like when church starts, I think that should be happening here. Like for us inside of here, we're like, woo! It's about to go down. High-fiving each other. I mean, like, chest-bumping each other. You want to get the butt? You know, like, hey, get it going. I'm like, seriously. I mean, we should be in that place like, hey, slap me. Slap me real quick. Just making sure I'm ready. I think we should. I mean, if we're so excited about the church, the body of Christ, the expanding of the gospel, we should be like, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you came from. I mean, we should be. I don't know. I don't know where you came from. I don't know what, you, what your background is. I don't even care what your politics are. Let's go. We are about to worship Jesus inside of this house. He has transformed lives. He's going to transform lives. He's about to change people. Like, we're stoked. It's in us, though. Like, sometimes we sit back and we're like, I wish they would be cheering. I mean, I wish they would get excited about this. We wait for everybody else rather than saying, what has Christ done in me? If he's done something in me, then, man, I got to witness about it. If he's done something in me, I got to show up and praise him. If he's done something in me, then, man, I'm ready to learn and grow. I mean, I'm, I'm here, like, taking notes. God, I don't know what's being said. I'm writing it down. Jesus. 
You know what I mean? Like I'm, when we get in the car with the spouses, we should be looking at you like, man, you know, you know who I used to be, right? Make sure I'm on point in worship today. Make sure I give God due praise. You, you know who I was, don't you? Friends with each other, man. I know who you used to be. Come on, boy. Let's come in here with Thanksgiving. Psalm 110, baby. Let's come in here with Thanksgiving. We got to encourage ourselves in the Lord to come into this place ready for what's about to happen. Because inside of this place, lives are being transformed. We walk in here not to check a box. We walk in here to learn and grow and understand sound doctrine for how we need to think, how we need to act. If we're a disciple, what are we doing? We want to know who Jesus is. You can only know him by being with him. By knowing him, you are learning about him. By knowing him, you are taking information in. But to become him, oh, to become him, you got to start allowing the transformation to come. You got to allow your thoughts to be challenged. You got to allow your heart to be challenged. You got to allow your thinking to be challenged in order to become like Jesus. But this is what it means to be a disciple. Being a Christian is a terminology. Being a disciple is I am following Jesus, who he is, what he is, how he is. That's who I am. But it's a process of learning, becoming, and then doing what he did here on this earth. It doesn't just happen. We don't come to check a box. We come to be transformed. We come to this place to be transformed. What are we doing here? We worship God. What are we doing here? We teach doctrine. These are beliefs of God's word on how we should live. What do we do here? We send the redemptive work out of this place. Just our church individually. What do we do? We serve the transient community. We help people in need. We, we step out of this place in order to uh, um, help people in workplaces. We counsel people internally. What do we do as a church? We educate your children. We hit your students. We get at the young adults. We want to teach inside of here to hit your brain and empower you and strengthen you. What are we doing? We're hitting from the cradle all the way to the grave. It's an amazing place. The church, the body of Christ. This is what we were a part of. And man, we should be passionate about it. We can never overlook the power of what the church is. The enemy would love for a church to get lazy in its gathering. Oh, the enemy would love that. The enemy would love for you to show up, sing your song, listen to the message, and then step outside of these doors. And go self-absorb yourself in whatever desire you want. What is it? The church becomes zombies. They feel nothing. So therefore they do nothing. There is no power that is at work that leads them to do something outside of these walls. Can't do it. Hebrews 10.25, I believe it is. What does it say? No, 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 no. Don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. Don't forsake it. No, no, no. It's the custom of some people to do that. But don't let that be your, your custom. Don't let it become your custom. I talk to a lot of people. Hey, what's going on in the church world right now? What's going on right now? Why, why, why is it so hard for people to get to church now? Post-COVID world is wild. Why is it so hard for people to get to church? Man, fear is one of it. Place is too full. People think they're about to catch something right next to them. Like, don't cough. Don't even look like you're about to sneeze. Or I might karate chop your neck, okay? 
Another thing, it's much easier to sit at home and watch than it is to go and be a participant. I'll tell you right now, God has not called us to be participants, right? God has not called us to sit at home. He called us to be participants. Sorry, I'm like, wait, wait. God has called us to be active in the church. Like, we, we should not grow accustomed to not being inside of the house. It should be our custom. We should be gathering as the brothers and sisters inside of Christ. So that Acts 2, what happens whenever the Acts 2 church, the Holy Spirit falls? What does it say in Acts 2? Acts 2 says whenever the Holy Spirit fell, you jump into verse number 42, and it says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What? The doctrine of the word. They devoted themselves to the doctrine that was being taught. And then to the fellowship, the community of believers. They were hanging out. I'll tell you, it is a tragedy if you don't know the more than five people inside of this room right now. It's a tragedy. If you say, I'm an owner at Pearl Street Church, and you know less than five people, that is a tragedy. Why? Because you aren't in fellowship of the church. For us to succeed, when the Holy Spirit fell, they said, we're going to listen to the apostles' teaching, the doctrine. We're going to learn. We're going to grow. We're going to be transformed. And then we're going to get into fellowship with one another. I want to know, oh, man, Gabriel used to be a heroin addict, and Jesus transformed his life? What? That's amazing. Praise God, Gabriel. You're sick. You're on my prayer list. You're in need. I got you. Just this past week, I mean, we had an individual in our church that said, I got two washers and dryers or a washer and dryer that I'm not using. Just last week, a woman came and said, I just new to town. I said, girl, do you, you need a washer and dryer? She said, I just moved in. I do need one. I said, praise God. There's already somebody in our church that gave. We need to get them outside of the new building and into your hands in Jesus' name. But this happens time and time again. Why? Because people are known in the church community. It's not by chance. God does so many cool things of blessing and empowering and strengthening. We got a couple in our church, and when they find out a need, and it happens all the time, they've, they've, they've paid for people's dental surgeries, they pay for people's medical bills. I mean, I'm talking a lot of money. But it's through fellowship that they come to know the need. They're faithful tithers in the church, they're generous givers, and then they're generous outside of the church. But it's a part of the fellowship that things are known in which they give towards. This is what the Acts 2 church, the Holy Spirit is dropping, and there's a community of people that are stoked out of their mind, they're committed, they're in, they're connecting, they're relating. The Bible would also say inside of here, what did they do? They, they shared in the Lord's Supper, shared meals together in the Lord's Supper, and they prayed together. You get down to the end of the chapter, and it says, with all this going on, the Lord added to their number daily. Growing churches are on the backside of passionate people that have been marked by Christ. That's how it happens. You say, I really wish Pearl Street would grow. Cool. What is Jesus doing in your life today? And are you stoked out of your mind about it? Are you stoked about the people that are showing up with you on Sunday? Or are you just ready to check a box and say, I'm good? God will not bless you checking a box for your Sunday attendance. God blesses the obedient. God blesses the, the humble. God blesses the peacemakers. God blesses those that realize their need for him. You want to look at the, the Beatitudes? God blesses those people. Not individuals that are checking boxes, individuals that are pursuing Jesus and living a transformed life. That's the blessing that flows in. We're coming for the wrong reason for checking boxes. Last thing I'll leave you with is this. Last thing. Last thing I want to leave you with is this. The church is making the world beautiful. The church is making the world beautiful. Here's the deal. The beauty that is coming from the church comes from people that are the church. The worst lie of the enemy, I think, one of the, one of the worst lies of the enemies in this season is individuals that say, I love Jesus, I just don't love his church. 
I, I, I just love Jesus, but I just don't like his church. What is that saying? The brutal church that can be painful and beautiful at the same time. I'm not going to go to the church because I've been hurt there, but I love Jesus because of my understanding of who he was. Well, Jesus showed up at church all the time. Jesus was in church every Sunday. So you can't love a man that has given you grace and not do what he did by showing up to church. Hebrews, as I said, don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. There's people in our culture today that say, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Basically what that's saying is I don't like myself because we are the church. So just because we've been hurt inside of church doesn't mean we can't be healed inside of church. And if you're saying you like the church, but you are, you, you like Jesus, but you don't like the church. Well, tell, tell, tell your spouse, I love your face, but not your body. Please tell them that. I would love for you to say that to them and see how that goes. Christ is the head of his church. Christ is the head of his church. We are the body. How can we say we like Christ and we, are, we don't like the body? What Jesus says in Ephesians 5, love your wives, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Does he love the church? Alive the enemy is, oh, I love Jesus. That's a selfish statement because I get all the benefits. I want all the benefits of who Jesus is, but I want no commitment to be in the church. Oh, Lord. It's like, I want to be married so I can get the tax write-offs. I just don't want you. <laughs> it's a lie of the enemy. Lie of the enemy to keep people sitting at home believing they're doing something spiritual, believing that the hand of God is on their life. But it's anything, it's anything but that. It's a selfish life. Jesus said, lay down your life. There's no greater love to, than to lay down your life for the sake of another. What is that? Get over you because God has rescued and saved you. And he's trying to use you and me in order to rectify people that are living in darkness. The church is beautiful and it is making the world beautiful. $128 billion was given to religious organizations last year just in America. For what purpose? Stepping outside of the walls of their church in order to make a difference in the community which they serve. Counseling people, loving people, helping people that are walking through brokenness, seeing marriages restored, drug addiction, uh, uh, people set free from drug addiction. I mean, multiple different things. Transient community being met, all kinds of stuff. 128 billion. You know, there's nonprofit organizations, religious organizations that are stepping throughout the world and meeting natural disasters. World Vision is usually, uh, no, not World Vision, Convoy Hope is usually the first uh, religious organization that shows up in the middle of a natural disaster in our country and throughout the world. They do a lot of it. They show up with resources, manpower to clean up, help people, feed them, give them clean water, but it's coming from faith-based organizations. We have the largest economy on the face of the earth here in America, and America can't even match what the, the local church is doing or the, the religious community is doing. They can't even do it. They'll take all of our money through taxes, but provide a less than uh, quality service in order to help people. The church shows up though, because we got the heart of God. We are marked by Christ. We have a discipline of doctrine that says do not lie, cheat, or steal. So if you give us some money, we're going to put it to work to truly help some people. You know the money that we send to all these third world countries? A majority of that money 
is extorted, is, is laundered. It never gets to the people in which we send it to. You do some research on it, I'm not going to get into the trenches right now. But we help people all over the world. As Americans, billions of dollars we send out. And very little of that money actually gets to helping people because powerful people steal it. But when the church shows up, I'll tell you, the World Health Organization has written a whole article on how the church shows up and meets the needs of broken people. It's beautiful what the church is. We are bringing beauty to the world. You know where it all starts? Christ finding the heart of one person that brings beauty to a life, that restores an individual, that this person becomes revived. The veil of darkness pulls off of their eyes. A life of selflessness is given. An individual begins to serve people right where they are at. Just loving, caring, and empowering. It all starts with one person. One person. I met Jesus. He changed me. He's transformed me. He has made me new. I am on a new path. I'm on a new direction. Man, God is using me to share my testimony. I'm going to share the goodness of God. I'm never going to back down. I'm just going to keep on loving people. I don't care how broken my life gets. I don't care how challenging it gets. I'm just going to keep on serving people. And the beauty of the kingdom, the beauty of the body of Christ, it all comes down to each one of us just saying, hey, we're a part of something far bigger than ourselves. And the part we play has not, I mean, it's way I mean, the, what we're a part of is way bigger than the part we play, but it still requires us to play a part. And so we're going to be active. We're going to be engaged. We're going to share our faith. We're going to be connected. We're going to be excited. We're going to be slapping each other whenever we step into worship. We're going to be taking notes as we're listening to the word. We're going to be looking head on a swivel for broken people around us in our workplaces. We're looking for how we can lift people up. If we got a little bit of extra money, we're going to be generous with people around us. We'll pay for coffees. We'll pay for meals for people. We'll do what we can because we want to take what God has given us to bless the world because we're trying to bring beauty, beauty to a broken world. Amen? Each individual makes this reality. Let's stand up to our feet. What I want us to do is, come on, where's the passion? Where's the excitement? Where's the lives that have been marked by Christ? Are we individuals that love the work that Christ has done on the inside of us? Are we ready to step into a time to say, man, God, move how you want to move. Do what you want to do in Jesus' name. Come on, this is us, the body of Christ. Let's sing it out together as a people.